0: This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill, the story ends, you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.
1: This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB Saturdays from 3 to 6. And right now, Sunday, I'm on till 2 taking calls 404 750 800 WSB Talk. You can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. And we are talking about what's happening in Venezuela. I am going to take a last call on that. I'm going to play some explosive video for you. And then I want to change gears a little bit. Something that came up before the break about the importance of history for better or worse. And if we want to keep the monuments around, uh for that reason or other reasons or if you want to take them down because they're inherently offensive and i can actually understand both sides of the argument And i have i think some original insights i want to share and i also want to get to some calls marie robert you're up next just hang on till we wrap up the venezuela conversation i'm going to start with uh a call i'm going to go to richard richard you are on with monica
2: Richard, Mike, I love the show. I listen every week on the way home from church. You know, I, you were talking about taking the moral high ground, the economic high ground, or the military high ground. Uh, our mindset is different. As a republic, uh, if you come up against a country, whether it's Russia, China, if it's a, a socialist dictatorship, any of those countries are opportunistic. They're not going to wait. They're not going to come step up with us. They're going to say, "Hey, they're doing. They're taking the high ground." No, they're not going to do that. They're opportunistic and they'll look at any weakness we have and exploit it in in any part of the world state that you choose.
1: So, do you suggest we pivot to their principles?
2: No, I don't suggest we pivot to their principles. But earlier, you were talking about preemptive. Uh, I think, of course, I'm from a military family I, background. I think preemptive strikes are necessary. I think, I think the the, the benefit. Out of way, the cost many times a preemptive action.
1: Who is making that determination?
2: Uh, well, I think our American values make that determination.
1: Our American what?
2: Our American values. Our values. But, but somebody our, has our, to our make.
1: For someone has to make a specific determination about who and when to preemptively strike. Normally, wow. as a self-defense measure, you see someone attacking you, and it's very clear people pick up their muskets and go to the edge of their property, and they will defend it. But you're talking about something preemptive. Who decides well, where I'll American it, but how do we? But how can they represent us if we oh. can't understand the issues that, that they are making determinations about? I, I think, pardon.
2: I think that the, if we sit back and I, I, I think sometimes now I, I'm suspect on a lot of things the government does, but I also think that you sometimes just have to trust the intelligence. You know, it doesn't matter if it's if it's something in your county that your the police department has discovered, or if it's a national thing. If there's intelligence that there is a possibility or a strong suggestion that there's going to be some kind of adverse action that's going to affect the majority of people. And you know there's some good credible intelligence, then it's, to me, it's a moral opportunity and a moral obligation to act to prevent. All
1: right, I got to tell you, you brought, so you're saying faith in government actors, and you're saying you have the same faith in local police, but the difference is local police have a very clear system of accountability that the victim or the or the person they were preemptively moving against to prevent a crime, and they're really not allowed to move preemptively until you've actually taken a step towards a crime. But that person has his day in court. It, there is accountability and transparency. But with this stuff, there is never that time. So it creates a moral hazard it creates a moral hazard that actors inside the highest levels of government know they can get away with stuff just by lying.
2: Well, I, I agree. I mean, I'm skeptical of a lot of things that the actors in the government do, but I also yeah. know some things that, you yeah, know, we do get a lot of things right. We get more things right than we get wrong, and whether people like it or not, America has always been the country that's taken up for whatever country that couldn't defend itself, can you know, we step in and we, we're protectors of the world, and I think that's one of the things that that's uh, in our fabric, especially with our our uh, Christian foundation. I think that's part of our fabric. And sometimes, you know, if an evil man is allowed to do evil things and nobody steps up, then then you know, you, that's a that's a moral fault to me.
1: Well, but it, it, this you this that evil man. Faith is in a different country, right? And he only can do evil because he exploits the resources and the consent of his people, right? Well,
2: that's true. But I think like you we're talking about maybe hands-off with Venezuela. Hands-off with Venezuela. I'm not saying we send troops into Venezuela, but I think we could use any other opportunities we have to maybe to, to let those people, help those people free themselves from that socialist But they, that don't they don't want it. They
1: voted for this guy. So, is that is that democracy all, not ok? because I, I I'm not really big advocate of democracy, but are you saying that democracy is not a good enough way to well, determine democracy
2: is not true democracy is, true democracy' is not the way the majority. But you know, you know as well as I know that these elections in these countries like that, they're tilted. They're,
1: I don't know about that. This one, the chavez I, I one, would, the Chavez would, one was definitely. I mean, I don't think anyone continues to argue that Chavez's election was not right, and the Maduro one—it's debated. So, so we're—you
2: look at any socialist country, any communist country, any socialist country where there is a there is an election—in quotes—you know as well as I know that somewhere that that's being swayed, whether contention or the suggestion, whatever those elections are being swayed. Now, there are people, but you look at some of the North Korean people—they look at Kim Jong Un as. as you know, he's he's a, he's a God figure to them. But some of those people are so brainwashed and they have so much fear that they've accepted. Do you that. think. You know, family, members that been, family members have been taken in that regime, so the younger generation. I dispute that, that, that
1: story 100%. There's no proof of that. Look, I want to ask you do you think the voting in this country is above reproach?
2: No. I don't think voting. When you have a mass of human beings <laughs> in one place at one time, yes, uh, anybody's devious intent can be manipulated. I think well, we're not a perfect country, but I think our elections are more pure, not totally pure, but I think they're more pure than any other election on this planet. Uh,
1: I absolutely really appreciate uh, the back and forth, Richard. I love your points. I'm very interested. I have to go play this other clip from that we're going to get to from Elliot Abrams. I uh, I respect what you're saying. I believe that we have to respect the principle that whether you have democracy or not i think this was boetie t b-o-e-t-i-e who first pointed out that all governments rest on the consent of the governed and i think gandhi proves that because you could just sit down and the government will collapse i think if we lose sight of the fact that uh we have human beings can be you said it's part of the, christianity if you believe that human beings are not animals that they have rational thought you have to and that we have the right any justice and governance any right to self-governance you have to believe that human beings are capable of that and we cannot impose our governance decisions on other peoples it's not practical and it's not just in my opinion but i absolutely appreciate your good points and i think uh a lot of the audience probably agrees with you, if not the majority of it. But I want to play this uh, this hidden audio that these guys... Now, here's an example. So you said Russia can't play by the same rules. I actually think that weaker countries, Russia's a weaker country can really insist on the level playing field, on strict adherence to the rules. They really want to champion it, and they really want it, because rules a lot of times protect the little guy from the big guy. So until the table's turned, they might actually sincerely want to play by the rules. These are a couple of Russian guys. Uh, they don't claim to be affiliated with the Russian government, from what I can tell, but I'd be very surprised if they were didn't have some protection like the way uh, the Victoria Nuland leaked audio from when she was plotting the coup against Ukraine. I assume that came from Russian uh, intelligence, but you never really are told that. But anyway, these guys, I found it on 21st Century Wire, the notorious duo of Vovan and Lexus, a couple of Russian guys, tricked Elliot Abrams into a conversation by pretending that they were... Uh, the president, one of them, pretended that he was the president of the Swiss Confederation and the head of the Department of Finance, Yuli Maurer. I don't know who the other guy supposedly was, but they got on the phone and Elliot Abrams talked to him a couple of times and absolutely believed that's what, who they were. And started as he loosened up, started just telling him not nothing crazy incriminating, but it makes you think that the outage could have been ours, you know, our work. This is very recently, not too long ago. Uh, let's play. So this is Elliot Abrams talking to these Russian guys pretending to be Swiss guys. Binkley, let's hear Also, it.
0: I wanted to ask you, uh, uh, what are your thoughts about possible military aid to the president of Guaido, President Guaido? You know, uh, uh, we're, we're not going to do that. Yeah, um, I think it's Unless, it's right. uh, unless the, the regime does something completely crazy like, yeah. you know, attacking the U.S. Embassy.
3: Yeah, I know. Uh,
0: uh, but... Um, Our information suggests that people in the regime and in the military are actually nervous about a U.S. invasion. And we think it is useful to keep them nervous, Mm -hmm. Um, which is one reason that we will not say publicly, no, 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 this will never happen. Mm -hmm. When I give private briefings to members of Congress, this is exactly what I say to them. We are not trying to make you in Congress nervous. We are trying to make the Venezuelan military nervous, and we think that it is a mistake tactically to give them endless reassurances that there will never be American military action. Yeah. But I can tell you, this is not what we're doing. What we're doing is what you see: uh, financial pressure, economic pressure, diplomatic so, yeah, pressure. Yeah, I agree with pressure. you. We could support you.
1: So economic pressure. I'm not saying that if we were in a real war situation, you wouldn't want to uh, carry a big stick or even in any situation you carry a big stick, but uh, keep it by your side. But he's saying that they're using uh, economic pressure. They're using economic pressure. That means that his intent is to cause suffering of the Venezuelan people, because he knows, as I just said, that the consent of the governed is what a regime relies upon. So by using economic pressure, he wants to artificially withdraw the consent. They chose this horrible form of government and we are making it worse on purpose because for an, for our uh, a a reason that unlikely is what you see is what you get or we withdraw support from China. My mother won't buy stuff from China. She never has. Neither has my father. They said it's communist. It's slave labor. They boycott it. You know how hard it is to buy stuff cheap? Uh, so I don't think what you see is what you get and I think that's uh one of the pieces of evidence for that. So let's let's move on to the monument question. Hang on, guys. i got lots of calls. 800-WSB-TALK. This is Monica Perez.
4: Monica Perez. I'm not interested in
5: fantasies. I'm interested in
2: reality. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB.
1: Moving on to, or right before I move on to the topic of whether we should remove historical monuments, I just want to close the previous conversation With a quote from Taylor Caldwell, an author, very, very conservative author and a family favorite of my parents. Uh, She wrote in the first, mostly I think in the first half of the, well, the mid 20th century. She wrote, every ambitious would-be empire clarions it abroad that she is conquering the world to bring it peace, security, and freedom. And is sacrificing her sons only for the most noble and humanitarian purposes. That is a lie, and it is an ancient lie, yet generations still rise and believe it. So my mom just gave me yesterday a book by Taylor Caldwell called The Devil's Advocate, where she wrote uh, like 70 years ago basically what's going to happen to our Bill of Rights and the American experiment, so I'm eager to read that. It's always interesting to me when people see what's coming. I try to do that. I want to move on to this question, though, of, of... uh, this controversy is going to keep coming up. Stone Mountain, Stacey Abrams; those are going to be uh, in the same articles in the future. And I want to know what you think and why. And let's have a civil, thought-out conversation. And four four eight seven two zero seven fifty one eight hundred WSB Talk. You can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. I'm going to start with Marie. Marie, you are on with Monica.
3: Hey,
1: Marie. hi, Monica. Hi there. So
2: the question is.
1: Should we keep our uh, statues? Well, here's the specific question: Is that I just read an article about a cross that uh, commit, that is erected on a World War One soldier's graveyard, and people want that taken down because they say it's government property and it is a violation of the First Amendment because it's a mixing religion and state. It advocates religion uh, by the state, and I'm and I'm asking. Would you do you want to take that down, or do you want to leave it up? and why?
2: Absolutely not. Take it down. Uh, wh- a religion, whether it's religion, not religion, it's history as well. Uh, and it's cemetery crying out loud.
1: So, yeah, that's I'm a good confused. point. So it is it is a it is a is I actually want to get into what the First Amendment really means. Your point is it's history as well. And it's a cemetery, so you have the right, if a specific person maybe objects to it, but if they all agree that the cross is what they want, that that should be an end to it. But there are deeper questions. I appreciate the call. Uh, Robert, Tariq, John, hang on right after the break. 800 WSB Talk. This is Monica Perez.
2: Monica Perez.
0: Have you ever questioned the nature of your
2: reality? On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB.
1: I am your libertarian voice on WSB, Saturdays from 3 to 6. Right now I'm on Sunday from 12 to 2, open for calls, 800-WSB-TALK, or tweets at Monica Perez Show. Binkley, you got a tweet you wanted to, uh, you thought you should read, so bring it.
4: Yes. Well, the tweet
1: just disappeared <laughs> All right, from Basically, my... what did it say?
4: It basically said that the story that we were talking about a moment ago with the cross, that it was not in a cemetery, that it was kind of in a public street area, I believe.
1: Yeah, I the general topic, the question uh, that I want to talk about is if we should remove memorials of the past because we don't like them now. And I'm thinking of everything from the Robert E. Lee statue to a cross that I just caught an article about over the past couple of weeks that we had said was uh, in a cemetery, but um, I think the tweet was pointing out that it was not in a cemetery. It was a, a memorial in the middle of town. And I see the article here. What it actually said, what I guess confused me was... It says, the Bladensburg World War One Veterans Memorial sits mere miles from Washington, D.C. In 1925, the American Legion dedicated what one mother called her son's gravestone, a cross-shaped memorial erected to the memory of 49 Prince George's County, Maryland men, who died in the Great War. So she called it the gravestone, but it wasn't actually a gravestone. I wonder if those 49 men... We're all Christian. But I understand the greater point is that it was a it's a memorial. And and my idea, the reason it it, this made me have a deeper insight, unrelated really to the First Amendment, I guess, which is what they focus on with that question, because it's a question of religion. I personally think the First Amendment is overread. It says that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. I think that's pretty plain. And I, I think that's what it is. <laughs> so Congress can't make those laws. That's not a congressional law. Uh, but but the bigger picture for me, and I want to go to the calls right after this rapid fire, if we can, or at least give everybody a minute or two, that uh, I believe, and I've really thought a lot about this, and I, and I did not go in with uh, an expectation of where I wanted to come out, but it occurred to me that if we want to govern ourselves, we need to understand government and society enough to know that historical context is important and to understand the complexities of society and governance and why we need laws, why, why there are different arguments, why things change, why precedents are overturned. And we also need to look back on those monuments and those representations of what was totally accepted in many, uh, like particularly for slavery, in, in, it was an economic system for thousands of years. I mean, the Romans enslaved the Greeks like this was. And I can't I cannot imagine thinking that that is right. I cannot imagine thinking you can whip another person into submission. I can't even conceive of that. But we need to look back and be reminded, A, that it was our shared history and we need to come to terms with that. I mean, I my family emigrated in the twentieth century, so I didn't, you know. It's I chose this history. I chose to be part of this society that had those roots, and we have to come to terms with that. But we, uh, we also need to to use it as a touchstone for our own understanding of ourselves being judged. And I think of like when you read contemporary arguments of slavery or. Uh, in uh, going into a country and taking property from indigenous peoples or killing them or enslaving them. I, I'm not sure I even believe the contemporary justification for that. Articles were written that they didn't have souls, so they weren't fully human. And then I think of arguments today. I understand a libertarian's argument uh, that a woman's body is the—you you know, you can't go in and handcuff a woman— to irradiate her and make her incubate a child. I understand that argument. I understand both sides of the argument. But when they say, well, it's not a person, that's an argument that's been used before, and history has judged it harshly. So if you don't have those reminders, you really are... The the maturity of self-governance of our system really can't be implemented if you can't understand that the principles that we've arrived at... Have emerged over thousands of years of trial and error, or trial and success, or a uh, an ability to progress morally because of uh, of technological advances. I find that people are more likely, and I think this is proven, to steal when they're in need. So maybe we have the luxury of being more moral, but I think we have to understand history and context. I'm a hundred percent. Oh, but if it's something like uh, a tyrant or dictator or somebody who did things in secret, if you've got somebody whose atrocities would be judged harshly in their own time, if you have something where, uh, you know, you can't celebrate a Hitler because you know it's wrong, like there's no justification for building the statue in the first place, and if you built it, it might have been a result of deception. So I'm saying things that shock the senses, things that are atrocities. Yes, you don't, it's, I'm not neutral, I'm not subjectively neutral, but you have to understand, I think, that you have to learn uh, from history, And but I'm absolutely 100% open to other viewpoints. Uh, let's try to get to as many calls as possible. I'm going to start with Robert. Robert, you are on with Monica.
4: Hey, Monica, great show. Appreciate it. Um, so you pretty much hit the nail on the head, one of my main arguments about the Cross Memorial in, in particular, uh, that Congress shall make no law, and the key word there is Congress. Um, any of the um, responsibilities and all the rest, of however you want to describe it, in the Constitution are pretty clear that anything not specifically delegated to the federal government is therefore in the purview of the people and or the respective states. Um, and the fact is that uh, people want to say things are unconstitutional. Let's let's get down to it. Uh, the American Legion, a private organization, raised the funds for this memorial. Number two, the land was donated by a local government. A local government is not Congress. No law was created by Congress in this figure. Well, that instance. actually
1: brings up another point, which is <laughs> I don't even believe in the right of governments really to to have land, to erect memorials themselves. A lot of this stuff is about being on public land, but I, I don't even really see the necessity for public land for the well, most part.
4: And, and to, to, your, to your point, I agree, uh, given the fact that the Constitution delegates the only land available through the federal government is the 10 square miles in D.C. and then any absolutely required to maintain or create forts and other uh, uh, ob- objects to create, a, to allow us to defend ourselves, Period. Uh, but the bottom line, as we get down to brass tacks, is that the government is the people. I and mean, I think people tend to uh, forget this simple fact that if you want things to change, go out there and vote. Um, you know, I, I don't particularly care for the fact that our Constitution, in fact, allows, and I would be a, uh, I would be vehemently in a disagree, disagreement with if they tried to do this. Bear with me. If a state wanted to set up a state religion called... Uh, Bluism, whatever you know, whatever that is, still in the blank. They have every right to do so, and the federal government can't stop that. The people can stop it if they don't like it. Oh, and that's why we have votes.
1: You are bringing up a great point, Robert. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop you. I'm gonna say what I have to say about that. It's uh, two things. One is that uh, the. Sorry, I don't want to forget both points. The The 14th Amendment is read to to change, really, uh, the immunities and privileges. that It's read to... I'm not saying it was meant to. I'm not saying I would agree with the ruling. I haven't made a study of it. But it's read to say... This is where it says, No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdictions, equal protection of the law. So that begins to tell the states what they themselves can do. But I don't, I don't uh, like, I like things to be at the state level. And that what I have thought more about is that I don't like the Supreme court having the right to adjudicate whether or not congressional action is constitutional because the states need to do that. The congressional action, they don't, the Congress wasn't supposed to have an enforcement mechanism like the FBI or, you know, internal police force or anything like that. The states would have to enforce congressional law and they could just not do that. But then you have the Supreme Court, which which tells the states how to interpret the law, in my opinion, that you, that you should be able to maintain state nullification. Uh, so, uh, I, but in the case of the First Amendment, it's, it actually says Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So I feel like it's very crystal clear that this is strictly a federal thing. So I, I appreciate that. Uh, and I'm going to keep moving. I want to go to Tariq. Tariq, you're on with Monica. How you doing?
3: I'm doing great. Uh, first of all, I appreciate, I believe we appreciate all the things that you do for us by sharing your ideas.
1: Well, thank um, you, and I appreciate that your call, because I like your ideas, too.
3: Okay, listen. First of all, yes, it's, well, when I look in the overall context of the motivations of the group that now want to get rid of monuments, now, look, I'm a descendant of not only slaves, but Europeans, okay? But to me... I think when the people make their decision, what they consider to be acceptable or not, as the years go by or decades, that you ought to have in your mind what the motivation is. And for me, the motivation to get rid of the monuments, it all reduces to the collective method of changing government and systems, because that is an important indicator of the culture of a country. And so it's related to not only monuments, but, you know, sex, transgender, language. It it goes on and on and on. So you're saying
1: they want to uproot the monuments because they want to uh, untether us from our shared history, from our culture, from stuff that goes deeper than simply this uh, technocratic over.
3: Yes, of course. And just think about it. Some of them now, you know, if you look at a lot of totalitarian ter- 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 governments, uh, one of the things that they want to do is make the state, the collective, you know, big government, et cetera, et cetera, it, as opposed to religion. So in some areas throughout history, and still do in some areas, they attack religion. So it's all connected. So I'm not saying, don't get me wrong, as a child, as a young person, part of it kind of. You know, it doesn't make you feel good as a descendant of slaves to see certain things. But I know what the big picture is. They really don't care about slaves. They really don't care about women's rights, uh, transgender rights, or, or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. What the, the key is to change the government. This is their playbook that they've been doing for centuries, especially. You can see what's happening with our social engineering the last, the way it's accelerated the last 50 years. You change... One of the quickest ways to change a whole system of government is through war. If you can't invade yes. a country and take them over, then you change the system by changing the culture first. It's I was just going to
1: point out that Carnegie Endowment, in their records, says that they wanted to change the culture, and they determined that the quickest way was war. And within a year, they had worked to successfully, I believe it was within a year, got us into World War I.
3: Yeah, even, even, even the Civil War. Think about it. You had slavery for a long time before the Civil War started. It wasn't just because of slavery. You know, the right. You know, Lincoln didn't do that to about, I believe, about 1863 or so. And so there was some other, like John Brown, if I recall, My I'm getting older, my history might be a little off, but one of those guys, Brown, he was actually a communist at the time. And you can look at, you know what I mean? And so they, that's one of the things that, one of the things that accelerated, of course, the economic system in the South was dependent on it primarily, right? Right.
1: But the economic system, I got I to take a break, Tariq. But the economic sure. system uh, in the whole world was changing, and that's why yes. it was going to go away anyway. So it does call yeah, into so, question. It was like their so, last chance for a war.
3: So, so you know, they, you know it, a lot of it, there are a lot of different levels and, and components and elements that we really can't get on the radio b- because we just don't have enough time. And I don't, by any means, purport to be a historian. I'm just trying to learn. And the more I learn, my final, last quick point. I think the key, one of the biggest keys is we need to educate the masses a lot better than we have the last half century or so, because that's why we're so vulnerable. A lot of us just don't have a clue.
1: I, I agree with you, Tariq. I Please, please continue to call and help me. And I, I say it's even, it's even more simple than that. Ask questions. Think. Don't take it on faith. Uh, we're going to wrap it up after the break. This is Monica Perez.
4: Monica Perez. Everything
2: she
1: said was true. She knew. Nobody believed
2: it. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB.
1: Have time for one call. I'm going to give it to Wayne if he can give it back in one minute. Hey, Wayne, can you take one minute? Sure. Bring it.
5: Uh... I have two thoughts. First off, on the the cross, the monument, I, the way that I understand the First Amendment is it's freedom of religion, not from religion. The United States is a Judeo-Christian nation. It's written on our money. It's written on our buildings. And the framework of our laws are based upon that. And that's the way that I see that. You know, it's, it's just the way our, our country is structured. You can have any religion you want is freedom of that. But you can't go against our laws with that. But I think we've gotten away from of religion and and, and changed that. The other thing I want to make a comment on was the monuments. Uh, everybody brings up slavery, and, and that was definitely a factor. But there was less than 5% of Southerners had slaves. And even the North, Lincoln didn't make a deal about slavery until Gettysburg, when things weren't going good for him. And, uh, you know, it's the Taliban, the uh, Islamic State, they tear down history. And, you know, we shouldn't be doing that in our country. It's it's what it is. It's history. You learn from it.
1: Well, Wayne, you might have taken a minute, but it would take me a lot more than a minute to uh, delve into those complex issues that you just brought up. I uh, do not stand not arguing as uh, agreement, but I'd love to have the conversation. So please call back. Oh, Binkley, in 10 seconds, give me your wrap it up.
4: They could make some of those monuments unifying symbols if they wanted to. Robert E. Lee, for example, helped unify the country after the war. So if they wanted to focus on someone being on the wrong side and someone helping, they could easily do that. But instead, they frame them in a divisive way because they want to divide the country.
1: Again, I need more time, (laughs) so tune in next week. This is Monica Perez.